0: 16, 16 16-40. As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you, in the name of Jesus Christ, to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them as the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household." And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, Let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul, saying, The magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, They have beaten us publicly, uncondemned men who are Roman citizens, and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. The police reported these words to the magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them, and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed.
1: All right, all right, all right. What's going on? You guys doing okay this morning? Man, that was good Good music, good worship, lifting our soul in songs and hymns, uh, and just rejoicing and praising the Lord together. It's important. We're coming back to that. All right? We're coming back to that. Um, but I, I, I found something funny. The title of my sermon this morning is What to Do When You're in Prison, okay? Because uh, we're looking at this moment where Paul and Silas are arrested, and we'll ask the question, is it fair, and all that kind of stuff. But I caught a typo this morning, and I had to make sure I caught uh, our guys back at the computer to make sure they had adjusted it. And they faithfully did, and I'm thankful for them. The typo, instead of writing out in my title, what to do when you're in prison, my title actually read, what do do when you're in prison. (laughs) And I thought, you know, not only was that a typo, that might have been from the Spirit of God, because that is truth right? Um, our life is full of dark places that really are doo-doo. This, this is not the way it's supposed to be, and uh, we're going to be talking about how we respond in those moments, seeing from this beautiful story uh, an example for us of somebody who's drunk deeply, or two guys who've drunk deeply from the gospel, who've experienced the beauty of Christ in their lives, and when they are in a dark, dark place, they know how to respond. And so uh, the, this story is part of Acts, that we, we've been hitting Acts, we've been talking about Acts. There is a sense in which, as we preach through Acts, there is kind of one consistent theme that just kind of gets echoed, or two sides of the same coin that keeps getting echoed. And all the way through, we're kind of here. And, and part of the reason this is a good book for us as a church to wrestle with, as, you know, we, we dealt with COVID, right? And COVID, like, in, in some ways we're still dealing with it, I get it, but, but that, that two years was just so bizarre as we tried to figure out what it looked like to live on mission to love our city, to be part of the, the, the family of faith, we went through the whole, ser- you know, the, the the first period where we just couldn't even meet, and then got into this whole period where, you know, doing stuff in the city like we'd done in the past, loving our neighbors became hard. All these things became difficult, and then we kind of moved into this phase of, okay, now we're looking at building a building, and things are really rolling. I know you're not hearing stuff all the times, but we got even more good news. Stuff is going great. Ah, uh, it's just we are now at the mercy of builders, and if you're not paying attention, if you don't know anything about what's going on in that world, the answer is everything is slow. Because they are all so busy. And so, uh, but, but it's all going. There have been things that have been happening. We're moving towards that. But in the midst of this, we don't want to lose our sense of mission. We want to be a people who are living out the, the implications of God's love and mercy in us so that we are on mission in our city. And so Acts was a great place to go because these two themes just keep going on. Theme number one, and there' actually one theme flipped over on uh, like two sides of a coin. Theme one is the absolute victory of the gospel. That the gospel will, because God has mandated the gospel will, go to all nations, to all peoples. And that the preaching of the gospel, the proclamation of the gospel, will be effective for the saving of God's people. And that people are a people from every tribe, every nation, every people on earth. We talked about this last week when we wrestled with the Macedonian call. This beautiful moment in the story where Paul and Silas were on this journey. And, and a, a vision of a man appeared that said, come over here to Macedonia, which is modern day, the northern part of modern-day Greece. Come over here and help us. And because Paul was compelled to go to the nations and do this in obedience to God, he they hopped on a boat and went over, and now they're in the city of Philippi um, preaching Christ. But, but so, so the first thing is that this, this, the gospel will be victorious. That is it is the only message that can save, it is the only hope for the nations, and that God has willed that the gospel will be victorious. But the second, the flip side of that is that there is this theme of the mission of God Therefore, the mission of his people. And our mission as God's people is to be about gospel ministry, loving our city, planting churches, taking the gospel to the nations, that we all have a role to fill in this. It's not just the superheroes like Paul and Silas, that everywhere they go, they leave a church in a city. And when Paul and Silas move on, this is important when you read Acts when Paul and Silas move on, there is a community of faith who now are doing the mission of God, living out the implications of the gospel in their city. Paul and Silas will leave Philippi at the end of this, but the gospel has not left with them. The gospel is in, embedded in these people, right? So check this out. i you know, I got my cool little laser pointer, okay? I was pointing at my daughters this morning over here, and they're like, what is that, Dad? But I got my, and, and, and hopefully we have a map here. Well, we started, so this is the second missionary journey. The story in Acts is of Paul, the apostle, with first Barnabas and now Silas, traveling in this area of the world, going from town to town to town, preaching Christ, preaching the gospel, going first to the synagogue, the the, the place of worship for Jewish people, and then going to the secular marketplace, preaching Christ. People come to believe in Jesus, so he plants a church, and then he normally gets beat up. And then he goes to the next town. That's kind of what's happening. And so uh, they have left. They started up here in the city of Antioch in northern Syria, this, this beautiful, huge, growing church that was a missionary church. And they started following the, the path of the first missionary journey, which was uh, we've already talked about in few, several sermons here in Acts, where they went through what is modern-day Turkey here, preaching Christ. But then last week we learned that they continued up this direction And Paul wanted, first of all, to go to Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbid them. We don't know how, but the Holy Spirit told them no. Uh, And then they wanted to go north to Bithynia, but the Holy Spirit told them no. So they get over here to this coast and really don't know where to go. And this is where Paul has his vision. So they hop on this boat. They travel to what is Macedonia, modern-day Greece, to the city of Philippi, which is right here. It is a Roman city. So this is our story today is in this city of Philippi. Uh, it, it is a Roman city in Greece. It was named after the ancient king Philip in, uh, Philippi, uh, in, in Macedonia, Philip the Macedonian, who was the father of Alexander the Great. Uh, he actually founded the city, and now we are about 350 years later, and this city is a major urban uh, center of commerce and trade, it is a very wealthy Roman city. Uh, actually, a part of a Roman colony that sits in uh, this this region of Greece. And uh, as the sitting superpower, this city is super important. And Paul and Silas land here. And what we learn in this story is that there are three types of converts. Now, this is not. The bulk of my story. One of the the challenges when you're preaching through a narrative like this and wrestling with the different ideas is that you could I could choose six or eight themes in the text to really focus in on. Uh, We're going to talk very specifically in a minute about Paul and Silas in prison. That's where we're going to land for the most part. But I did want to pause here and notice this because this is important in the story. That in this text here in Philippi, we have Paul's preaching and Silas's preaching and ministry having effect the advance of the gospel the victory of the gospel and the church in philippi is way more than what we read in the text but luke has chosen to point out three very specific people representing i think three types of people and the way the gospel has reached them okay so so, so the first we we looked at last week was this lady named lydia she is a uh, she is a, uh, a, from Asia, from the part of the world that was where Paul wanted to go, across the ocean. But she is a fashion designer. She is a wealthy woman of means who is in the fashion world. She sells purple. That's what the text tells us. Well, that's a little little hint to say she is selling clothes to the rich. Okay? And so uh, she, she would work on Madison Avenue. She would be a person who was in the fashion industry. She, you know, she, she would be a wealthy person. Uh, she had moved to Philippi probably because it was a much more wealthy place to sell her goods, and so she's doing okay there. But she had she had become come to believe in the one true and living God, uh, embracing ideas that came from Judaism. We're told that she is a God fear. What we have in this woman is a religious seeker. She is a person who is has some religious background, some religious story, uh, some connection with either. The, the Old Testament story or, or the Bible itself. Uh, or and, and she is seeking. She is curious about God, about religion. She is meeting with a group of, of Jewish people uh, near the river where she is gathering to pray and worship the one true and loving God. She is a Jewish seeker. And what we see Paul doing is showing up with her and these other people there by the river. Um, what, what the text is actually telling us in story form is that Philippi, while being a huge um, urban center in the ancient world, there are very few Jewish people living here because there's not enough people to form a synagogue. So the few Jewish people, very specifically it's a group of Jewish women, are meeting um, on, like, near a river for prayer and for worship and praise and things like that. They're just a small band of people. And Paul comes and he opens the Scriptures and he reasons from the Scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. And, and God opens her heart to believe because Paul takes the Bible that she's reading, enters into her seeking, and shares Jesus through the scriptures. That is one way that somebody is reached. And and really today, if you have friends, like some of you, this may be your story. You came to Jesus, you were seeking, you were searching, you were were wrestling with things of faith, and somebody brought you to church, somebody opened the Bible and prayed, somebody led you in a Bible study, or you joined a Bible study, and it was through the process of being involved in in religious activities and services that, that you came to faith in Jesus as a religious seeker. The second person we see in the story, though, is is somebody who's radically different. She is a broken outcast. We meet a slave girl who's got a demon. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. Her 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 life is broken. She is first of all, she is a slave. She is demon possessed, which means um, she just has like no control of her own brokenness at all. There is no hope. She is being used and abused by her owners we see in this story to make money we 're told that she has a spirit that allows her to do fortune telling, which means people are coming to her to see like she 's become a, a traveling circus, and people are paying money to get their fortunes read to have her you know open a crystal ball or whatever it is she 's doing and, and figure out you know through the spirit of divination uh, what is what is happening and and uh, the the history of the world at this point in time tells us that when you had a slave person like this, there was often um, hallucinogenic drugs that they would give to the person to, to con- make sure they continued in this state. They would sometimes end up fuming at the mouth and just being insane, but it was it was like a freak show, and she was a broken outcast. And what Paul and Silas do with her, they command the demon and come out, but here, here what's going on. They enter into her brokenness and give her redemption and, and give her uh, a way out. There are some people in our culture where their story is not that they're not a religious secret. They, they are dealing with deep addiction, deep pain, deep struggle, deep poverty. They've been abused. They've been mistreated. Uh, they, they may have been sexually abused by somebody and their life is just a hot mess. And, and for those people, standing, bringing through a Bible study would be great, but often with those people, what we need to do as a church as we live on mission is figure out ways to enter into their brokenness, love them in the gospel, give them hope in the world, sometimes, yes, do, do um, exorcisms maybe. But at the very least, we are giving people a way out, a way for a new start and a new day. But that comes with presence and being involved in their lives. That's the second person. The third person we meet is the religious skeptic, the Roman jailer who probably was a Roman soldier at one point in time, who now has a post. At this point in time in in the history, uh, most of the time when you find a jailer like this, what you are finding is somebody at one point in time who was a Roman soldier who had served well and as a retirement gig, they would be given a very, very beneficial, prosperous job of overseeing a prison and just making sure that, that the prison, prisoners are guarded and taken care of. And so this, this guy's a Roman. He has no interest in spiritual things. He has no interest in God. Uh, he, he is, um, you know, his alliance is to Caesar. His allegiance is to Rome. He is for, he is for um, the Roman government. He does not start this story Having any interest, in fact, he enters into the persecution and the skepticism he is part of harassing and hurting Paul and and the way he is reached is through the visible life witness of these two men, right? Paul and Barnabas are not open in the Bible; they are not trying to deliver this guy from a demon. They just sing and pray in the midst of their suffering in front of this man, and that's what catches his attention. And for some of us, some people in our culture, if you said, hey, come to a Bible study, they're not going to come to a Bible study, but all of a sudden, we go through hardship, we go through darkness, we go through suffering, and the way that people who love Jesus walk through these moments becomes a visible witness in the world that is shocking and often upsetting to them. They don't have a category for it. And, and, and that's what happens, that's what's beautiful in this story, is that, that these three people are reached through different means, but it ends in this, this Philippian jailer who comes to faith in Jesus, his whole family, because of the visible witness. You may sit here and go, I'm not the person who can do a Bible study, I'm not the person who can, can lead you know, a, a discussion, all that kind of stuff, but maybe you are the person who loves broken people and can figure out ways to step into spaces to care for people who are going through addiction and struggle and, and hurt and financial disaster and homelessness and all that kind of stuff. Maybe you're that person, and we need people whose witness for our church will not necessarily be standing up here and preaching or leading a community group. They will just love the broken people of the world, and they will step into those spaces and help us as a church to do it. And there are other people in the world that you know that have just put up their, their noses and have no interest in, sp- in Christianity or spirituality, but sometimes it is the way we live our lives before those people that will catch their attention. That's, that's what's going on in Acts, and that's what's, what goes on in, in the church. And God uses all three of those beings to reach people for Jesus so their lives will be transformed. So let's just check out the story. Let's just look at, and see what happens. Uh, we're told in verse 16 that they're going to the place of prayer. So if you, have, if you don't have your Bible open, grab it, open it, so you're kind of following along. I'm gonna roll through the story. Verse 16 tells us they were going to the place of prayer. In fact, so, so what's happening is that they are continuing this gathering, this coming together with the people of God, probably by this river, just like, like they had been doing where Lydia was reached. But they're also finding ways to preach to non-Jews in this city. And so now there's a growing church that is happening, uh, people of God are coming together, where they were met by a slave girl, it says, who had a spirit of divination. The word spirit of div- divination right there actually means she had a python spirit. How, how about that? It's a snake girl, okay? How I many of you are like, I want that in my life? You know, uh, she has a python. Now, where does this come from? Well, the, there is this whole Old, te- old Testament, it's not Old Testament, Greek mythology story of the god Apollos. Who um, uh, is the god of, of seeing? Okay, it's part of what he is. He he gives oracles, and there is a dragon that fought Apollos, and Apollos tamed the dragon and turned it basically into a python, and now that python is at his bidding. And in the ancient world, what we have is people who have this spirit. We're told uh, that they have the spirit of the python. Uh, there's this whole story like that is part of this that is the Oracle of Delphi. Like can go look that up, okay? You may have, like, I heard that somewhere. But it's this whole thing where now they believed that that Apollos with the spirit of Python gave people the ability to fortune tell, tell the future, um, to, to, to talk to spirits, and talk, all the stuff that we would say, you know, we're going to go down and see, like, um, you know, this this madam in Beale Street somewhere, right, who's got a fortune telling shop. That's what's going on here. She's got this, this spirit. And, and we're told here that, They think it's just some weird part of mythology. Paul and Silas see it for what it is, that there are times, hear me, church, lovingly, there are times when things are going on in our culture that are part of mysticism and spirituality and things that are going on that that are connected to uh, fortune-telling. And the Old Testament is clear to forbid these things. And we say, you know, playing with the Ouija board or or going to see, you know, a spiritist is just, a, it might be entertainment. And the Bible keeps teaching us, no, there's often something more there. There is a spirit world where there is a an enemy against us who wants to destroy people and keep them in bondage. And and we are sometimes playing with fire when we embrace the spirituality of the world. It's not just a cute way of feeling and having emotion. We are actually tapping into things that are purely demonic. And so Paul and Silas, this girl starts coming every day where they're worshiping and preaching. And she starts yelling out. And the the word here is is a cry that is at the top of her lung that can be heard from miles around, from way around. Uh, She starts yelling in her spiritism that um, these men are servants of the Most High God who are teaching the way of salvation. And we might see that and go, well, that's true, and it was. Except Satan is not here trying to win people to Jesus, okay? He is trying to disrupt what they are doing in their worship. And while there is truth, this looks a lot like the demons who confront Jesus in the Gospels. And so what happens here is Paul delivers her. But it's the fact that Paul delivers her that ought to catch our, t- it's what happens after Paul delivers her that ought to catch our attention. He reaches her with the gospel. The implication here is that she comes, like she is, she is rescued from the demon into the kingdom. That, that's, that's not explicitly stated in the text, but as we know what happens in the story of the Bible, when they are rescued from the di- demonic, they are rescued into the kingdom. She now is part of the family of faith. And so here we have this new church, don't miss this, that has Lydia— This seller of purple goods and this demon-possessed slave who's come to faith in Jesus has been rescued and delivered from her, uh, the spirit of the python, right? I bet that was some Bible study, right? But this is the way God works. But the problem is that her rescue, which we see and we want to celebrate, but you have slave owners who are making bucks— probably pretty good money off of this girl. And that has been wrecked and ruined. Listen, this, this is often in a culture, we, when we love Jesus and we proclaim Christ, it will be all well and good until the idols of the culture and really the pocketbook and the power of the culture is confronted. At that point, pe- people will either try to twist our words and make Jesus into something else or they will reject us. Because, listen, the gospel is not about taking my beliefs and baptizing them so they're a little better. The gospel is about me turning from myself, turning from my sinful way of seeing the world, turning from my idols, and embracing Christ as a true and loving king, but a king nonetheless. And so, so these people are really angry, and they, they grab Paul and Silas, they bring them to the city square. This is where, um, in, in, in a city like this, the city leaders, the mayor and the, and the, city, the city council, if you want to call it when, when we look at the magistrates, the police would be around. They throw them in front of the city square, where now they have a quick... Uh, cry out, so there 's an accusation made, but what doesn 't happen in the story is any sense of trial. They just turn on them, thinking they 're Jewish people, meaning they 're probably not Roman citizens. This is going to be important in just a minute they 're probably not Roman citizens, and without even asking, they grabbed them and we 're told that Paul and Silas are beaten with rods. Now that is not a pleasant moment. The, the rods are were, are thin sticks that they would just start whacking the back. They would cut the skin. So Paul and Silas are probably bleeding. There's a possibility that they end up with things like broken ribs uh, or or wounds that that are just open and gashing, or uh, an injured arm if they missed, or an injured leg if they went too low. Uh, they are in pain. This is awful. And then they're told that they're thrown, uh, thrown into prison, so they're given to this Roman soldier. Well, he's not real happy about things either. He enters into the struggle, enters into the oppression. He may have been right there. He may have been part of the, the beating and stuff, but at the very least, they are given to him, and he throws them into inner prison, the darkest place uh, in the prison, this inner dungeon in a cell where prisoners were kept and we're told that they are put in chains and stocks. Now, the stocks here is just a piece of wood that is pretty wide that would have two holes in it, but basically what they do is they, they would take your feet, put them through those holes where you couldn't get them out, and the holes would force you to be like in your legs in a V like this, right? I, I sit for about two minutes with my legs in one position. I'm like, all right, I gotta twist, I gotta move, my back's hurting. They're forced in a position that is impossible to stand, and unbelievably uncomfortable to sit, stretched out, sitting in a dark, dark place, bloody beaten. And the Roman jailer is involved in this. It is here where most of us sort of have our sensibilities utterly shocked. What would you do? I know this about myself. I speak wine fluently. Can I get an amen? I am a great complainer. I, I, I mean, the first thing I'd be like, this is not, yeah, there we go, we know the, the in my, I've told my kids that is the F word in the Hubbard house, fair, Okay? This is not fair. Listen, I'm your guy. Come on, Paul and Silas, they had every right to stand up, or not stand, they're in stocks, to sit up and go, God, seriously? We were doing your thing. Man, we were preaching Jesus. We were all in. We gave our whole lives for you. And and then we, man, we saw this girl's life change. She had this python spirit. She's a believer in yours. God, you've changed her life. And because we did that, it's all we did. Devil come out. Boom. She's done. That's all we did. We're here. I, I'm bleeding. My, I got a broken rib. I'm hurting. And, and, and I'm in stocks. I can't move. My back is killing me. I, I'm bleeding out of my ear. I, it's awful. This is not fair. I speak wine really fluently. I'm really good at complaining when things don't go my way. What would you do at this moment? How would you respond If you're not a believer in Jesus, hear this. There's no remedy for this that makes sense. But even as Christ's followers, those dark places and spaces show up. How do you respond to them? What we see in Paul and Silas is something that is rich and beautiful. Look at this, verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Does that shock you? Does the fact that the, the visceral response to this kind of darkness for Paul and Silas is to from a Philippian jail, from the darkest place you could possibly be, and they're there because they were faithful to Jesus, that their response is to be singing their heart song and praying, and we're told here that the prisoners were listening. Right? Now, what's, what's crazy about the story is that as they're singing here about midnight, and the prisoners are listening, God sends an earthquake. And, and this has already happened in Acts, this is a, becoming a, a, a common occurrence I would love to tell you that here's the moral of the story. Even in your darkest moments, if you pray and sing, God will, will send an earthquake and get you out of this. But we can't turn that into this because we know there's going to be, as we read Acts, there's going to be another imprisonment for Paul that's going to last four years. He's going to get released again, and then there's going to be another imprisonment with Paul that costs him his head. Earthquakes don't always come, people of God. They don't always come. So the singing and praying is not their way to force God to be a genie in a bottle to give them what they want. It is a heart response who knows about the sovereignty of God and the goodness of salvation. And they have drunk deeply from the sweetness of Jesus. And so when they are hurting and they are struggling, they sing, they cry out to God. But what, we, what, what I also want you to understand in this moment is that this is not just given to us an example here. It is something that is echoed and shown to us all through the, the Bible. Back to that in just a minute. So what happens here is they, the earthquake comes and something kind of insane happens. Now, as the Roman jailer starts to see what is going on, he thinks this earthquake has led to the release. And again, I'm going to ask you, what would you do? Um, You know, the stocks fall off your legs, the chains fall off, the door flies wide open. Would you not, and, and would I not see this as a sign from God that I'm to run? And as the jailer is pulling the sword to plunge it into his heart, because... This would be an act of, like, losing prisoners would be an act that would be looked on with shame, and then he would be publicly executed with his family to see. This is a way not to shame his family, to take his own life here. It seems kind of crazy, but the fact is he was going to die the next day if they were out. And not only was he going to die the next day, he was going to die publicly in a way that would have left his family in shambles and shame. If they find him dead on the ground, then there's nothing to do. The family goes on without the shame. He is protecting his family at this moment. Would you run by him and say, too bad, so sad, I'm on my way. God has opened the door. We, we find Paul and Silas who stay there and say, hey, nobody's left, but, but don't, don't miss this in a story. We were already told there's other prisoners there. They were not arrested for being Christians. They are not there because of good things, and they are not able to sit there and say, we're here uh, unjustly. They were probably all guilty in some way of whatever they were being held for. What would be going on in that jail that would be so compelling that a prisoner doesn't run when he has freedom? Something is happening in that jail cell that takes the hardened criminal and says, I'm going to choose to stay here and listen to Paul and Silas rather than run for my own freedom. Wow! Right? Wow! and and here they are the jailer can't believe it he just goes oh my gosh oh my gosh what what must I do to be saved? Something's going on here. He may have heard them singing. He may have saw them preaching in the marketplace and heard some of the words. Something brings this person to understand that what the what the slave girl was saying. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they are coming to you with this message of salvation. This, the, the The Philippian jailer, this hardened Roman soldier, this spiritual skeptic, now looks at them and says that girl was right. What do I have to do? And I love Paul's simple, succinct answer. Listen, that question is a question that every person ought to ask in their life. What must I do to be saved? What must I do to get out of the mess I'm in? How do I deal with the darkness in my own soul and in my experience? What does salvation look like? And most of us, and if not in here, your friends and neighbors have answered that question with a self Salvation experiment. What must I do to be saved is answered in our cu- culture like this. I must live for me. Salvation comes through self-actualization. be uh, Obtaining all that I want, pursuing my dreams. It is us, people of God, who have the only true answer. And Paul gives it so beautifully. Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus, you'll be saved. Turn from yourself and run to him he won't just save you, he'll save your whole family. He was going to take his life to protect his family. And Paul preserves his life, and his whole family comes to faith in Jesus. They take them home, and I love what happens in the story. It says that the jailer begins to wash his wounds, Paul and Silas's wounds. But there is the washing of the wounds and the beauty of the, t- the passage flips it and says, and then Paul baptizes him, meaning that he may have washed Paul and Silas' wounds, but Paul washes the whole person. Isn't that, isn't that just crazy? cool? I love this story, y'all. I love this story. This is the kind of stuff that God does when our hearts are rightly po- postured. Now, the end of the story is kind of weird then. Because the next morning... Here comes the police who were involved in beating him up, of hitting him with rods, who show up and go, nah, we've just decided to let you go free. And Paul goes to the jailer who has been in all this, I right, dude, it ain't working that way. That's not going to happen. And, and he says, here's the problem. We're Roman citizens. He had legal rights. Now, what we find in the text is that Paul is a Roman citizen. This means that he could not be, they could not be beaten or thrown in prison without a proper trial. There's no trial. They just make a charge, beat him up, throw him in jail. And so now the city leaders have themselves in a massive pickle. They have significantly violated the rights of two men who are Roman citizens. And Paul leverages this, but it's the reason he leverages I wanna get at in the story, and then I wanna come back to them in jail. But it's the reason, because what Paul and Silas are, are not doing is exercising their own rights for their benefit. We as Christian, we live in America, and it's a, a land of great freedoms and rights, So we should be for religious liberty. We should be for the personal rights that we have. But there is a sense in which in the gospel, I also need to figure out there are times where I lay down my rights for the cause of the gospel, right? And so Paul and Silas are not saying, we're Romans, you treated us wrong. What they are doing is they were arrested and dealt shamefully in a shame, honor-shame culture They were given great shame, arrested publicly, and beaten publicly, so that everybody in the town is now looking at Christianity going, okay, they're wrong, they're evil, they're bad. And now they come back the next day, and they just want to dismiss them privately and say, you need to leave town. And Paul and Silas say, it's not going to happen that way. They force a public apology, not so that Paul and Silas would feel better about themselves, but for the The church in that city and the cause of the gospel. They're saying you shamed the gospel, and now God has put you in a position where you must publicly acknowledge what you did was wrong. What they have done is they have set up this church in this city to be left alone. Nobody else has beaten up a Christian for a while in Philippi. And now this church can prosper. They bless this church. So Paul isn't using his rights for his own benefits. But he will use, and this will come up over and over again in Acts, he will use his rights as a Roman citizen to advance the gospel and to protect the people of God and show compassion and love for them. He does not just for his own good, rights and goodness, but he will use his citizenship and his rights. As Christians, we have something to learn there. And that's a whole nother sermon, and I'm not doing that one this week, but there you go. But what I do want you to see here is the beauty of how Paul and Barnabas, or Paul and Silas respond here to this moment and understand that there is a steady, steady drumbeat in the Scriptures about what it looks like when we go through dark spaces and dark places and hardship in our lives. And what happens is that the resounding, like there are psalms like crazy that speak of this, there are Old Testament passages there are prophets who respond and call us to respond this way. New Testament passages that tell us that the proper response is worship, rejoicing, singing, praising, and praying. Rejoice always, First Thessalonians. Paul, the author, says, To the church in Thessalonica, which we'll hit next week, I think, um, or the week after that. It's the next chapter. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do you hear that? Rejoice always. And no matter what comes, keep giving thanks. Because God has you right where he wants you. He's going to use it for your for His glory and your good, Zephaniah three fourteen through seventeen, a, a period of history that there was wrought with brokenness and hardship in Israel. And sing. Aloud, O daughter of Zion, shout, O Israel, rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgments against you, He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst, and you shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness, He will quiet you in His love. He will exult over you with loud singing. Do you hear that? He's saying, sing when it's hard. And when you sing when it's hard, here's what's going on. You were singing. You were just joining a chorus where God is singing too. God is singing over you when you sing in your hardship, when you praise in your adversity, when you see the beauty of Christ and you hold on to him with all your heart and you lift your hearts through tears to the throne and you continue to have a joyful heart of praise. This is what the Lord uses in your life and the lives of those around you to display his glory. That's what happens here, Amen. right? Paul and Silas are in a dungeon and they're singing. It is the, 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 the command is echoed over and over but what we see in scripture is over and over we find the people of God who have met him deeply, deeply doing this. We see Job saying, Though he slay me, yet will I praise him. We see songs of praise coming out of Jeremiah and Isaiah's lips as they are being persecuted for preaching and proclaiming the message God has given them. We see David in Psalms over and over and over again praising the Lord out of the darkest and hardest situations. And we see Jesus who endured the cross despising the shame who for the joy set before him went there for us. We see Paul and Silas here and then what happens is if you and I were to take a deep dive into church history we would see people who were burning at the stake, the stake praying and singing. People who were about to have their heads cut off praying and it has been the, the song and the praise of God's people in the hardest moments that has been one of the greatest witnesses to the entire world and so we have a few things to learn here quickly from Paul and Silas for today here's that, that's setting up and that's just waiting us through the story here's a couple applications and they are for today because that day is coming hear me we are the church gathered today and if we don't do today if you don't do today what they are doing in the dark places, you won't have the resources for the dark places to do it there. But what do they do? Well, let's see their responses in suffering. What are their responses first? And second, we're gonna see uh, some of the outcomes, the God's reach through their suffering um, as they respond. There, there are three basic responses that they have in the midst of their suffering that we need to see and learn, and the first is that they pray. We're told that they're found in prison, in stocks, hurting, bleeding, and what are they doing? They're praying. They're lifting their voices to God. They're not complaining. They're not trying to figure things out. They're not, they are lifting their voices to the Lord in prayer. They're crying out to him. They're praying. Uh, we, one of the things we do here at Genesis is we use the New City Catechism. We, we publish it out. I, I put it on uh, in the worship sheet every week. If you don't get a worship sheet, we put one out every week that has notes, that has Things like a family worship event. It has some things to, to pray to get, uh, through the passage uh, or some application. Actually write some thoughts about the sermon that um, elaborate or, or even go a little deeper in one of the ideas sometimes. And so if you don't get that, you can get that on our blog. You can get that on Koinonia. You can pick up a hard copy here each week. But one of the things we put on it every week is the New City Catechism. It is a, a, a series of questions and answers that are to help us grow in our faith. And this week's question that is on the sheet is this. Question number 38, what is prayer? That's timely for us today, right? Because we see Paul and Silas sitting here praying, what is prayer? The answer from the New City Catechism is praying is pouring out our hearts to God in praise, petition, confession of sin and thanksgiving. It is a posture of our heart that is lifting our requests and our needs and our hurts and our struggles to the only one who can do anything about it. I run to wine. Not, well, not wine, but wine. Although sometimes, you know. What do you, when you're hurting, what is it that you run to? If we are not a praying people here, we will not pray when we're arrested. We will not not know what resources to pray when we're in prison. It's why when we gather, we have to pause. I don't know if you pick up on this, but we are intentional in our service about not just running through our service and having a couple, Lord, thank you, so we can switch the band and, and the pastor. Like I found us doing this early in our church. The only time we would pray in the services was, like, I got to pray so that everybody, ha- every head bowed, every eye closed, so the band can sneak up on stage. And then, as I say you know, amen, you lift up and go, Oh, how'd they get there? <laughs> Being intentional here in Vanita's prayer, did, did you not connect to that? Did you not feel the beauty of that moment? We, we have to be a praying people so that when. People in our congregation are in this spot in the dark places. Prayer is the first and easy response. They were praying, be anxious about nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let a request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Prayer. They were praying. Second, they were singing. And this is the part that catches us sideways. They had a song to sing. I, I, I love listening to good rock and roll music. But if the only song I have to sing in prison comes from Sammy Hagar or Journey, I got a problem. If it's Toby Keith, it's a big problem. We have to have the music of our heart that will lift us in these times. And, and so we need to learn from Buddy, right? The greatest way to say, to spread Christian cheer is singing loud for all to hear, right? I'm, I mean, we come together, <laughs> right? You, you, you caught that. That's Buddy the Elf from Elf, except I. I Switch the word a little bit, you know uh, it 's important when we cut listen, our band is up here they we're so blessed with with godly worship leaders and a, a great band who um, lift us to the throne every week and and then we sing, and we're not they 're not up here to do a concert for you, okay they 're up here so we sing together. you notice we don 't do a whole like a whole lot. I can't remember that last time we did a performance piece, a special music. I'm not saying that's wrong. You went to a church that had special music. I'm not saying that's wrong. We just, we realized that we need to be singing. This is the command in Scripture that we should sing. It's over and over again. Psalm 40 says, sing a new song Make melody in your heart, lift your, uh, in in, uh, uh, Ephesians it says that that we're to be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and in spiritual songs. Making melody in our hearts to the Lord. That singing is part of the Christian response to the brokenness of the world and that we come together and sing. and, And what singing ought to do is it ought to draw in our voices, okay? I watched some of you, and this is what it looks like. And that's what it sounds like, too. We're really good about hands and pockets, and I'm not going to be engaged. What we need, we need to be pulled in. We need to get where we move to the elbow movement, right? <laughs> up. And this stuff. And maybe you'll start feeling comfortable carrying the TV, yeah. right? And now, now you're singing a little louder like Buddy the Elf, and, and maybe... Maybe you move from carrying the TV and, and you move up a little bit to uh, the uh, Mufasa, <laughs> right? And, and, and maybe we move from Mufasa to goalposts, okay? And there's goalposts like this, like I'm going to school and I have my hand raised and sometimes it's just one hand, sometimes it's two. And if we get really excited, we can go one finger. Next thing you know, we're, we're ready to do village people. Right? Or Rocky, okay? But hear this, I'm not saying everybody needs to lift their hands, it's it's a good idea to feel drawn in. We need to, like if we're not singing together and really lifting our hearts and letting the music we sing in bed, it's, it's so important. If we are not doing it here, people, we are not gonna do it in these places. If we don't have a heart song to sing, then when our lives are hurting, we don't have the resources That God is giving us for the dark places. Paul and Silas had a song. And so so their responses are singing and praying. And third, mercy. Mercy. This is big in the text. The guy was part of beating them up. He was about to plunge the sword into his heart. I think I'd have kept my song going and let him die so I could get out. It'd have been easy for Paul to say nothing and walk his way to freedom. But people who have met the gospel, rebels who have had the blood of Jesus poured out, will look at even the people who've abused them and echo the words of Jesus, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive. The, the, the fact that Paul and Silas saved the life of this man is an act of sheer mercy. He didn't deserve it yet that is an expression of any understanding that when I'm in the darkest places and the hardest moments, it may be, it may be that God has chosen to give me cancer or allow cancer. It may be that God has chosen for me to go through the loss of a loved one. It may be that this dark, dark, hard moment is God's amazing grace in our lives to draw us to our knees, to help us find this song, But on top of that, more importantly, so that we live our lives before a watching world and have a hope and a love for others that doesn't make sense. I watched this. I literally watched this in the last two months with my father-in-law, who was heading to his last breath, and every step of the way had a song in his heart, A joy, a prayerful joy. And he just rubbed off on everybody who came in the room. It was beautiful. And for some of the people who were there, they did not have a category to make sense of what was happening there. Church, that's us. That's what's happened in the story, that's us. And what happens here is that in that, God meets us, he loves us. There is his reach that will reach me. His reach that will reach the church. Paul leaves here. Can you imagine this church meeting when Paul's out of prison? Now, the church is no longer being shamed. He goes and meets at Lydia's house, which is where the church is now meeting. The first church in Philippi is meeting at this woman's home. And he goes in there and says he encouraged the brothers. Not he went to be encouraged. Paul, you're doing great, man. I can't believe you, hungry. Do you realize how encouraging this singing, praying Mercy given people as they have baptized into the church. The Philippian jailer who's meeting in the church with him there. Man, what a story! But what a call. Where are you at today? Are you in a dark place? We're gonna sing here in a moment. You need to sing. Do, do you need prayer? Don't don't do this silently. Come find us. We'll, we'll have people over here. Call me. Let's let's pray. But but. Are you praying? Are, are you lifting your heart? If you're in a good place, are you singing and praying so that you're ready for this moment? And are you, you prepared to look at even the people who've wronged you and treat them with grace and mercy that reveals the grace and mercy of Jesus in you? you if you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you're a rebel who has run hard away from God, and he has pursued you and loved you. And so... We'll close with this as the band comes up. We're going to celebrate communion as a reminder of what it took for Christ to forgive us. John Bunyan was a preacher of the gospel in England. He's known for writing Pilgrim's Progress, which is one of the top two or three most read books outside of the Bible in all of history. John Bunyan was preaching Christ in England when there was a lot of turmoil about what was acceptable and not acceptable for people to preach, and he got arrested And he's put in jail for 12 years. He spent 12 years in prison for preaching Jesus. As he was being taken to prison, his wife went into premature labor and lost a child. He had another daughter who had an accident who ended up blind because of it. And he was not able to care for them financially because he was in prison. And from there, he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. But he wrote a lot of other things. And one of the things he wrote was was a, a journal on his imprisonment. And in this journal, he has this poem. I am indeed in prison now, but body, in body, but my mind is free to study Christ. And how unto me he is kind. For though men keep my outward man within their locks and bars, yet by the faith of Christ I can mount higher than the stars. Their fetters cannot spirits tame nor tie up God from me. My faith and hope, they cannot lame. Above them all I shall be. Lord, help us today as we are singing here in just a minute. Some of us today need a song in our heart because we're in a dark place. Give it to us, for the rest of us. Draw us to this moment. Remind us, like don't let this just be for today. Week after week, help us come in here ready to hear, ready to pray, ready to sing. Lift our voices and let us be A people who love to have a heart song. And may our witness to a watching world be visible because our response in the dark moments is a response of people who have drunk deeply from Christ and tasted his beauty. In your name I pray. Amen. We're going to invite you to sing. And Kirk's going to lead us through our time of communion here in just a minute. We'll come participate in what Christ has done for us.
2: Church, we're um, at a place in our service where it's time to respond to what we've heard. We believe that there are at least three responses. First, we respond through our giving. And when, when, we, when we take an offering here at Genesis Church, if you're visiting with us, this is, this is not for you. This is an opportunity for our church family to give something back in response to what they've been given. Second, we respond with singing and with worship, and we're going to do some more of that in just a moment. But third, we respond by taking communion, by taking the Lord's Supper, Um, and remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross and and the night before his death when he gathered his disciples and they broke bread, and he told them about how that bread represented his body and the wine, his blood so in just a moment if you're a believer in jesus and you're right with god we would ask you to come forward down the center aisle and participate in communion and return to the outside aisles and if you're not a believer in jesus today my prayer is that something would be stirred in your heart that what you heard today that you would consider what is what does this really mean what is this all about this faith in jesus and at the end of our service We'll have someone right over here, as Mike mentioned. If you would come forward and and just visit with them. You may have questions. You may have uh, doubts. uh, But please don't leave here. If you feel that tug on your heart, speak with someone over here. 1 Corinthians says this in chapter 11, verse 23. For I have received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread I would ask you to take just a moment in the privacy of your own seat there and prayerfully reflect on your condition, on your standing with Lord God. And then when you're ready, come forward and participate in communion.